Welcome to Radio Rehab. We are a daily show where I have a guest co-host on with me for the entire week, and we talk about recovery, how it works, how do you do this, how do you do this sobriety thing. Everybody has a different way of doing it. This week, my guest co-host is Matt H., and Matt H. does it refuge recovery style. Friday is always the end of my run episode where we find out what happened that got us sober. What happened that got my guest co-host sober? So I'm going to let Matt tell you about that in a second. First of all, if you would like to email us, it's Radio Rehab at GoToProductions.com. That's G-O-T-O Productions.com. You can call or text 415-496-9511. On Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, it's at Radio Rehab Dana. And you can also go to Radio.Rehab and read the blogs. This is our end of the week episode with Matt, and I hope you enjoy it. I sure did. Welcome to Radio Rehab. Here's your host, Dana Keys. Welcome back. I am joined in studio with producer Char and our guest co-host for the week, Matt H. Matt H., welcome back. It's Friday. It's Friday. <laughs> so today we're going to talk about the end of your run because it's Friday. It's their last day in studio. So um, this has been a great week. We had fascinating conversations. We've talked about sponsorship in prison. We've talked about your blog, which I want to say is Rooster Scratch, but it's Hanscratch.com. <laughs> H-A-H-N. Yes. This is where you can find Matt's blog, which is very interesting. Um, so yeah, we talked about sponsorship in prison and then we, we talked about our low lights on Wednesday and we talked about refuge recovery yesterday, which I got a lot out of. Thank you. Like I learned a lot from that conversation today. I, I, I want to learn about when you got sober, what, what happened? Well, it's kind of forced upon me in a way, mm-hmm. you know, going to jail has a tendency to do that. It but, does. Uh, so I got, so I got sober in April of 2005 and right around February of 2005, um, I was really in the thick of not only getting high, but as I kind of talked about before, like stealing. Yeah. And I know, even when I was getting high, that nobody's a perfect thief. And I said, what if I am like a really, really good thief? Like, what is the <laughs> statistics on it? What would that a good thief look like? I'm like, 99.9% of the time he's going to get away with it. That's a good thief, right? Like, I figured that's... That's just what you decided. I mean, if you were a baseball player and you had that batting average, you know... Yeah. You're doing okay. I'd say so. So I'm like, okay, that's a good thief. And I said, how many of these burglaries and thefts am I committing a night? And I'm like, how long is it going to take me to get busted? And so I did like some little calculation. And I said, well, even if I'm a 99.9% uh, you know, successful thief, I'm going to be facing a life sentence. Because any felony I caught at that point was going to give me a 25 life sentence. Went within 120 days. And I still kept doing it. And I remember thinking at the time that I just can't stop. Now, I was at that point, I'd say I was not only on a meth run, I was addicted to the stealing. As I was as just going to ask you that. I was going to say, were you as addicted to stealing as you were to Absolutely. the drugs? Absolutely. If not more so. Wow. If not more so, because the feeling I got uh, sometimes stealing was way more powerful than any good shot of dope. Like and, the ones where you almost got caught but didn't or got away with it? Or, yeah, or you just got away with something great or right. you found yourself in like some... I, I think of this one moment when I had gotten ready to burglarize a house and I was kind of like in their property looking out over this the whole like South Bay and I felt like it was mine. Because oh. it's like I was doing what I wanted yeah. and they didn't know about it. And I remember that it was a very powerful feeling. As sick as it was, it was a powerful no, I, feeling. No, I get it. Um, so I have to say that I was addicted to that as much as I was to dope and I knew I couldn't stop. And it was around that time I, I tried stopping using 
maybe two or three times in the six months ahead of that and had realized that I couldn't. And so the echoes of the previous time I'd been in a 12-step meeting kind of started getting louder and louder in my head. And I'm like, damn it, they were right. You know, like I probably am a dope fiend, even though I didn't think I was, it's clear that I am. And I also remembered from 12-step groups that it was going to take a power greater than myself to get me sober. And I said, well, that's just going to have to be the Department of Corrections. And, um, and that's how it ended up happening. I got busted on April 8th, 2005. And in the beginning, I just got busted for some, you know, possession of stolen property. Well, let me jump back a little bit. Okay. In March of 2005, I got visited by the police department. They came by my house and they said, we're on to you. We're going to get you. We know really? What you, we know what you're doing. They made a house call to, just to say, like, hey, we're hip to you? Well, they didn't. I don't know if that was the purpose, but I got pulled over in the middle of the night. I had a truck full of stolen property. The cop wanted to look what was in there. Uh, I said, hell no. He's like, where are your drugs? I'm like, they're in the house and you can't have them. They say, we know what you're doing and we're going to get you. So I'm like, I need to get the hell out of here. Right. I packed up my truck. I drove to Oregon. <laughs> Good for you. Drove to Oregon, rented a house up in Oregon. Came back, and I'm like, I need to pack up my stuff, get the moving van, and get the heck out of here. And so I was packing up my place to leave California, and I went uh, to Safeway in the middle of the night. This was April 8th, and there was a cop pulled over on the side of the road, and I passed by him. I saw him pop the Yui. I still pulled into the Safeway parking lot thinking I could act normal, but it wasn't going to happen. So they kind of surrounded my car, and they arrested me. And I was going to jail that night for possession of stolen property, four counts of it. But I knew, I knew that it was going to become a, a third strike case. So I bailed out right away. I bailed out. It was $20,000 bail. I bailed out. And there I was, April 9th. And I'm like, I got court in two weeks. And I'm going to be facing life in prison. What the hell do I want to do? And it was kind of a crazy two weeks. Now, I didn't ever do meth again after April 8th. But I got plastered drunk. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> I, got, I, got, I got totally drunk those, those two weeks. And it was April 22nd was my court date. And I remember getting up that morning. I was still kind of undecided about what I was going to do. And I remember just feeling really tired. And I knew I had to go to court. And I knew that I just, I, did, I thought about running. I thought about Mexico. I thought about the money I had saved up. And I, I just didn't, f- it was just so much energy that was going to yeah. be involved in that. I get it. You're just done running. You don't have the energy yeah. to run anymore after a while. And so I got the courage one last time. I said, I'm going to have to get loaded here. And so I got loaded. Not a meth. Took a few bong rips. Mm-hmm. Threw back two beers. Went and swept the driveway. Don't ask me why I did that. <laughs> I know. I was like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> I did you it. Swept the driveway. I swept the driveway. Okay. And uh, I went to the bank. I got some cash, and I went to court without jewelry, without a belt, with a wad full of cash. And when I got to the courtroom, um, you know, I had to stand up, and the district attorney said, "Your Honor, Mr. Hahn is uh, currently facing four felony charges, um, and he's out on bail on them. But this is a third strike case. He's currently facing a hundred to life, and we expect him to face more." We recommend re- uh, remand because we think he might be a flight risk. <laughs> and uh, so they took me in. And uh, it's kind of strange because I feel like I worked without knowing it the first step that day. 
you know, like in the way that I decided to do this, mm-hmm. like deciding to go in, I felt, you know, like if we talk about the first step is surrender. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's very few ways as powerful a surrender as like to turning yourself in and maybe going for the rest of your life, you know? Yeah. And so they sat me down in the jury box and the bailiff came over and uh, they kind of have a checklist, you know, like what, what property you have. So he's like, all right, I see one shirt, some khakis, some shoes. You got a belt? I'm like, nope. Got any jewelry? Nope. You have any keys? Nope. Do you have any money? Or do you have a wallet? I'm like, nope. He's like, do you have any money? I'm like, yeah. He's like, how much? I got $300 in cash. And he looked at me and he said, why are you here? <laughs> did you know this was going to happen? And I said, yeah. He's like, why did you come to court? I said, I just don't have it in me anymore. I just can't, I just can't fight anymore. And uh, so the next day is my sobriety date. I didn't count that day because I got loaded on the way to court. Right. <laughs> so, and that's the last time it happened. And I feel like, I don't know. I'm not going to say I haven't had the desire to use since then because some stuff came up in the county jail where I definitely thought if I'd had a chance to get loaded, I could have. But I felt like it was such a big surrender for me that it took away a lot of the, the power that addiction had over me. Now, of course, I came down. And I went through all that fun stuff we go through for a couple of weeks when I was in there. But... um I definitely hit my bottom that day. That's a really good story of surrender. That I get it. When you're done running, you're done running. Like you just you you can't run anymore. Yeah, I get that. Because what's the point? It was but why was the guy shocked that you were there? Like why was he was he shocked because you looked like prepared for the moment? Because you had I, no, you you didn't have your belt, you didn't have you know, and you had yeah. a lot of cash. He was like, "What are you doing?" I think. My impression I got from him, and he may have said it, I don't remember. It was kind of a, there's a lot going on in the moment. Right, yeah, I'm sure. But he may have said, like, I would never have come. Wow. And I, I think that's kind of what it comes down to. His shock was more like, why would you ever even come to court if you're out on $20,000 bail and you're facing life in prison? Like, why would you do it? And I was just done. I didn't have, the, I didn't have any fight in me anymore, and I was just fighting too much. And as I kind of alluded to before, when I was talking about finding my sponsor in there, like I was just in a really, really deep, dark hole at first, uh, maybe six months to a year in the county jail. I can imagine. I remember telling myself, you know, when I get to preliminary hearings, I'm going to kill myself if it doesn't go right. And that was kind of like in the back of my head. But there is also this other part of me and I don't believe in prayer the standard way, but I still said this prayer to me early on, prayer to myself. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, early on in the county jail, and it was something along the lines of, uh, whatever the hell happens to me, just make this the last time I have to do this. And uh, I think I started working with my sponsor a couple of months after that. And like I said, I started working the steps because I just didn't think it could get any worse than it was. And I don't Mm -hmm. think it could have, I mean, other than dying. Um, Yeah. I don't think it could have gotten a whole lot worse. And I'm not saying that there's not people on earth who don't have worse circumstances. But for yeah. me, the place I was at, your bottom is your bottom. Spiritually, yeah. literally, that was as bad as it got, has ever gotten in my life. That's really good. That's a really good story of surrender. I like that. Let me ask you one more question. Do you work, do you still work with other men in prison? Uh, I would still work with some of the men that were in prison. And they're now out? And they're now out. Oh, Not okay. in official sponsorship capacity, but I'm okay. still in touch with those guys. And 
uh, we still have a special relationship. And it really is a special relationship to have worked with men in there and then be out here free and having a completely different life, you know. And still doing the deal, though. Yeah, and I'm getting ready here. Hopefully, I think it's going to be the end of next year that I'll be allowed to start going back into the county jails and maybe do some H&I there. Oh, that's so cool. Maybe H&I 12-step, maybe H&I refuge recovery. We'll see what happens. They'd be lucky to have you. I mean, that's clearly what you're here for. So, I mean, they have to let you do it. I think they're lame for not letting you do it already, but... It's the five years. No one ever listens to me. End of parole or something <laughs> like that, you know? Right. Little things. This has been really, really great. I've loved our conversations this week, and I just want to say thank you so much for coming on Radio Rehab. It's, I, like, I've learned so much this week. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. It was awesome. Thank you. Uh, if you would like to read Matt's blog, it's Hanscratch, H-A-H-N, scratch.com, right? Right. And if you want to write us, it's Radio Rehab. Go to productions.com, G-O-T-O, productions.com. You can call or text 415-496-9511. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, it's at Radio Rehab Dana. And you can also go to radio.rehab. See you next week. Keep coming back. Bye. <laughs> Sex and drugs and rock and roll Is all my brain and body need Sex and drugs and rock and roll